please turn also to Ephesians chapter 1. The text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. reading from verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1 through verse 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. May we go to our God and ask for His blessings on the reading and also the preaching of His Holy Word. Our Lord God, we thank You, Father, for Your Word is a great encouragement to Your people. Father, we acknowledge how often it is that we do not have the finer things in this life. But Father, we acknowledge that it is Your kindness and Your mercy that we do not. And Father, we pray that it might turn our hearts to long for the things of eternity. For You have given us through Your Son, Jesus Christ, every spiritual blessing, that we have a rich inheritance waiting for us, that's kept in heaven for us. Father, we pray for Your people that You might remind us of the true riches that we have, that the world knows nothing of. Father, we pray in thanks that we received it, not because of anything that we've done, or because of who we are. We received it because of Jesus Christ, that through Him we have true adoption, that through Him we have all the rights and privileges that come with sonship. Father, we thank You that You gladly receive sinners, that You command us to repent and believe upon your Son. We pray, Father, that if there are any here who have not done so, we pray, Father, that the Gospel would go forward with power, uh, with the Holy Spirit, and that you might draw sinners to yourself. We pray, Father, that your Son, Jesus, would be exalted, and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> when you talk to young people today, talk to young people today, 
and you ask them, how do you expect that you will get rich? They tend to have just a few answers. One is, they will marry into wealth. I will marry someone who is very wealthy. Two is, I will become a YouTube sensation. Right? I'll become a YouTube sensation. Three is, I'm going to sue somebody. Right? I'm going to sue someone and earn, earn big money that way. Well, we're going to talk about the right ways of acquiring wealth. But I hope you're able to see you already have in Christ true wealth. Exceedingly great wealth. It's not the wealth of this world. You may not, you may not see it so readily. You embrace it by faith. It's visible not with the eye of flesh. It's visible by the eye of faith. That we have a great inheritance in heaven. That is true wealth. And so long as we're reminded of those things regularly, that we might say, we're not longing for the wealth of this world. These things will pass. We cannot take it with us. It will have to be given to another or taken away eventually. But we look forward to that eternal inheritance that we have in heaven already. It is already yours in Jesus Christ. When we think about this book of Ephesians, it presents to us our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, in all His glory. And then the Apostle Paul speaks about Christ's bride, the church. And in this chapter, or in this book, he often mentions the mystery. There's this great mystery. And the mystery is revealed to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this passage also, as we'll see even in today's passage, there's a mystery and there's also an inheritance. He mentions this three times, at least three times in this chapter. This great inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. And it involves every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These verses in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, this is one giant run-on sentence in the Greek. And you might think about how we can diagram the sentence for those of you who are into that. For the Apostle Paul, this is him overflowing with praise. It's as if he, you know, when people are talking and they get excited, right, there's a, a pace where they might speak louder or they might speak uh, faster, right? It's as if you can imagine... As Paul is writing this, if he were talking to you, right, his, his voice would have picked up in speed. It, it, would have, uh, it would have been higher in volume because here, the Apostle Paul is getting excited about the things of salvation. You see that all persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are involved in your salvation. In verses 3 through 6, he speaks about the work of the Father, that, that the Father is the one who sets the great plan. And then in verses 7 through 12, he speaks about the work of Jesus Christ, the Son. In verses 13 and 14, he speaks about the work of the Holy Spirit. The truth that we see in today's passage is praise our glorious God that He planned from eternity for sinners to inherit heaven through Jesus Christ. Praise our glorious God that He planned from eternity for sinners to inherit heaven through Jesus Christ. We'll look at this in three points. The first is the means of your, of your inheritance in verse 11. Second, the certainty of your inheritance 
And third, the gratitude for your inheritance. So the first point, the means of your inheritance. There in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Here as we think through this passage. And we think through what Paul has already started to speak about. In verse 3 he speaks about the matter of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Christ. And as he continues past verse 3, then he starts to tell us what those spiritual blessings are. In verse 4, he talked about how you are chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless before God. So, for anyone who thinks, hey, I'm elect, I'm chosen, but I'm going to live my life as a sinner who is selfish and and uh, seeks pleasure and, and is greedy for the things of this world, the answer is, well, that person should have no assurance at all that he is chosen. God chose us in Christ that we would be holy and blameless before Him. The God has, in verse 5, He's predestined us to adoption through Christ. That you may have great wealth waiting for you from an inheritance in this world, But whatever wealth that is, it pales in comparison to the exceedingly great inheritance that you will have through adoption in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the one who willingly shares with us his inheritance. He shares with us all that he has in heaven. This is why we're told that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That Jesus shares with us his wealth. And if it weren't for him we would have none. That God made known to us the mystery of His will in Christ. That there is a mystery, but that mystery is revealed to us through Jesus Christ the Son. And the mystery of how everything fits together. Everything fits together because God is going to bring everything in subjection to the feet of Jesus Christ. And for you and me, that means every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That the thoughts that we have, even the very thoughts, even the very words, the careless words, that they would be brought into subjection to Christ and His holy will. In today's passage, God gives us His generous inheritance of heaven through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who willingly shares it with us. Now we think about an inheritance And we think about first the subject of what are the lawful, what are the uh, acceptable ways of acquiring wealth? Acceptable ways. Well, the first obvious way is labor. Is labor's working for it. Ephesians 4.28 He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. We think about the power of the gospel. The power of a transformed life. Not by our own power, that that we would uh, will something to happen, but rather by the power of the Holy Spirit. He transforms our, our patterns of life. 
New life in Christ means a rightful authority in every sphere of your life. So the person who is newly converted and is, is he finds ways to, to drive around the neighborhood, look for open garages and, and, and steal people's uh, string trimmers or lawnmowers or trinkets in their garage and tries to pawn it off at a pawn shop. Well, when, when someone is converted, it means that he has to realize, hey, I can't do that anymore. Hey, this, this life, this, this way of acquiring wealth, this is not acceptable. Right? This is, he who steals must steal no longer. And instead he's going to say, hey, you know what? God has called me to the right way of acquiring wealth. That's labor. That's working. That's being diligent. And then in doing so, not only am I going to take from people, he says, I'm going to work and I'm going to share with other people who have genuine need. You think about the societal transformation that comes with the power of the gospel. How someone who was once a thief can become a generous man who is diligent and labors. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people can be changed. This is labor. So this is the main way of acquiring wealth, is by labor. Another is by a gift. A gift is, every culture understands the concept of a gift, right? Where gifts, by definition, are not earned, and gifts cannot be demanded, Right, so if, if you see that your, your neighbor gave your other neighbor a gift, you can't go to them and say, hey, you gave, your neighbor, you gave our neighbor a gift. You need to give me a gift too. Right? This, is, this is, a, a even from a secular understanding, this is a faux pas. It, can, it cannot be done. Right? You, you can't say, you gave that guy a gift, you need to give me a gift. Right? No, no, no. Gifts are freely given. Right? Gifts are freely given and received. And it's always wise as you give gifts that you understand there should be no strings attached to them. Right? Then there's, if you, otherwise, then you give gifts, there's strings attached. I'm going to give you this if you do this. Right? First off, you've got to state that up front. Right? And, and it'd be unwise to do so because that's, that's beyond the purpose of a gift. A specific category of gift is that of an inheritance. That is of an inheritance. It's a particular subset Proverbs 13.22 A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. One of my professors from seminary was a missionary overseas. And he, as he was teaching the people the good news of the gospel and Christ's authority in every sphere of their life, he tried to address the matter of thinking ahead of an inheritance for your children. And, and they, they kept pushing back. They, they didn't quite understand. They kept pushing back. Hey, why, why should I be saving up for my children? And, and he had to reason with them. He says, hey, what are you living in? And he says, I'm living in a grass hut. So what did your parents live in? They lived in a grass hut. And what did their parents live in? A grass hut. And, and so on down the line. He says, well, what am I living in? He says, well, you're living in this beautiful house with, you know, stone walls and heating and cooling and, and running water. And he says, why do you think that is? And he says, I don't know. And he says, could it be because my parents or people who came before me thought ahead about my inheritance? And, and then it finally clicked to them, hey, there, there is change that happens. We think about inheritances, right? It's not just what we can use up. We, we think about not just... Uh, Material wealth we pass on to our children. Obviously, we cannot convert our children and those who come after us, but we think about good and godly habits that we set for them. 
right? We, we ought to think about things that are good, good habits, the instruction of God's Word, the how important it is as parents that we say, the Gospel is true. The Bible is God's Word. And that instead of, instead of telling our children, you know, you need to figure out for yourself what truth is. No, no. We're, we're convincing them, our desire should be to convince them, this is true. Right? We, we wouldn't let them stick a, a, a metal knife into the outlet, right? Because that's dangerous. And also, we would not let them do things that are spiritually dangerous. It's setting a good inheritance for them. When we think about how sinners a, acquire their inheritance. It's so clear here in verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. I'm going to warn you. I'll warn you how quick and how easy it is to forget that it's in Jesus Christ that you have an inheritance. Many of you won't believe me. Frank, you're just full of junk, right? I mean, how, how can we forget that so easy? People do. People do. Just think for a moment. Think for a moment. But what we know of the Ephesian church, we have the book of Ephesians, we have the account in Acts, and then we have the account in Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, the, the letters to the various churches, and, and how positive, uniformly positive, that letter was to the Ephesians. Yet he says, hey, you've forgotten your first love. How serious that was. Think about all the wonderful things that the Apostle Paul writes to this church in the book of Ephesus. Is there anything negative? Is there anything harsh? Nothing at all. Yet, how many years? Barely a few decades to the book of Revelation. And there you have. You've forgotten your first love. So in Him, you and I have an inheritance. It's by the perfect work of Jesus Christ. It's not by yourself. It's not by your righteousness. It's not by your merits. It's not by your achievement. All of those things, you and I must leave behind. These goods come to the children of God through adoption because of Jesus Christ. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We think about how an inheritance works. An inheritance is a gift from parents or grandparents to their children or grandchildren that gets passed off at their death. This is also true regarding uh, the inheritance that comes from Jesus upon His death and the gifts He gives, He gives people by faith. When He died on the cross, He died on behalf of sinners. He died in the place, He died in our place, the death that you and I deserve to die. And that upon His death, upon believing in Him, that the good that He has, He shares with us. Think for a moment about how easy it is for sinful men to lose focus upon Christ. So this, in Him we have redemption through His blood. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Realize here, the Apostle Paul, wasn't he the one who brought the good news of the Gospel to these saints in, in Galatia? 
Yet here he's calling them fools that did they receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And those who are who have begun by the Spirit, are they being perfected by the flesh? And the answer is no, they're not. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul addresses a similar matter to the Corinthian believers. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you act as if you didn't? The things that we have in this life... We receive by God, by His grace. And that we never should be in a position where we think that we've earned it. We think that we deserve it. We think also about this matter of what is this inheritance? This inheritance can be described as heaven itself. All the spiritual blessings that Jesus gives. It includes the forgiveness of sins. It includes our salvation, includes our sanctification, includes our eternal life. All of these matters combined. Titus chapter 3 verse 7, So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So this being an heir is being one who inherits something. Being justified by His grace. Being justified by the blood of Jesus that we have that we have the hope of eternal life as inheritance. Do you have an inheritance? Are you awaiting an inheritance from parents? You know, in some countries, if you are raised a particular way with a particular religion, if you forsake that religion to follow Jesus Christ... You just might kiss your inheritance goodbye. In fact, you just might have to kiss your family goodbye. For those people, you can acknowledge that their hope would have to be on something bigger, something far better. And that hope is going to be an inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. Here we think about the things that we leave behind in this world. However much, however great they are that we all might say they're rubbish compared to the inheritance that we have in Jesus. It's only someone who says, you know what? I'd rather keep what I'm getting from my parents. The only person who would think that is someone who says the inheritance that's coming from Christ is not quite big enough. It's only by faith that you and I can see that inheritance that we have in Christ is that much bigger. Do you have an inheritance in Jesus? Are you trusting that it's by His perfect righteousness that you receive it? That we can't do anything to earn it? He gives it to us in His kindness, in His grace, in His generosity. And He commands us that we would receive it by faith. So that's the first point. The means of your inheritance is Jesus Christ. The second is the certainty of your inheritance. The second half of verse 11. Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Here, the certainty of your inheritance is found first in that it is already given. There in Him we have obtained an inheritance. Speaking of a past tense, something that's already done. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. 
This inheritance is not something that Jesus gives. Hey, you know what? I'm going to wait and see how hard you try, uh, how, much, uh, how much you bow down to me. I, I want to see uh, what you're going to do to earn it. It doesn't say that at all. He says, it's already yours. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. This means that you in Christ already have an inheritance. You're not waiting to the, to the point of, you know, at some point, there's going to be a transfer to my account. At some point, I will, God will give it to me. If I try hard, I'm, no, 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 we're, we're, we're not going that route. We're, we're saying here, when you pass from death to life, when you believed upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, when you repent and turn from your sinful ways, God, God is one who says that you've passed from death to life. So wait a minute. What you're saying is that I'm not earning God's favor. You're not earning God's favor. God's favor comes to you through Jesus Christ. Think about the past tense that the scriptures often speak about regarding your justification, regarding your peace with God. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. This is yours already. There's peace in your life. There's peace in your life because there's peace with God. And having peace with God, you can have peace with yourself, you can have peace with others. This is not something that you can think about having in the future. This is what you have now, already. What about condemnation? Passing from death to life. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Where is that condemnation? It's removed. How is it removed? It's removed because Jesus took that condemnation upon Himself when He suffered on the cross. This is an inheritance that is already given. This is salvation that is already shown to sinners. It's also an inheritance according to God's sovereign will. There, the latter half of verse 11. Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. That it's according to God's will means that it's not according to your will, not according to my will. When you think about the promises of the gospel, John chapter 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's not by man's will. It's not because we willed it. It's not because we willed hard enough that we get it. So often, we are fickle in our ways. And perhaps you've realized that already. Perhaps you haven't. We look at the example of Peter in his life. Think about Jesus. 
the warnings He gives His disciples. He says, hey, bad things are happening. They're going to happen, right? And then Peter corrects him, hey, hey, no, no, no. Truly I tell you, right? He says, hold on. He says, though they all fall away. Hey, you worry about people falling away? Say, hey, they all fall away because of you. Uh, I will never fall away. I will never fall away. And what did Jesus say to him? I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He comes back, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all his disciples said the same thing. Yet, yet when Jesus was arrested, where did his disciples go? Huh? You hear all the crickets, right? Because his disciples took off. You think about how all of them were easily self-deceived. No, 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 we're, we're mature, we're great, right? We're faithful. And then difficulty comes and where are we? Here, Peter, he was zealous for the Lord. Yet this, this little slave girl was, hey, hey, your, your accent sounds uh, Galilean, just like the man who's being crucified. No, not me. I don't know. I don't know who he is. We have too high of a view of ourselves, our own will, right? Our own, our own will. No, this is God's will. This is God's will. This is a reminder to us about trusting yourself less and trusting the Lord more. This isn't a lesson. This is one of these lessons that that you and I just have to learn over and over again. Maybe not you, I I do, at least. I need to learn it all the time. Trusting myself less, trusting the Lord more. God's sovereign will encompasses all things. Now this very interesting term, all things, everything. According to the purpose of will who works all things. Not just some of the things, not not just the major things, right? It's not, it's not uh, not just that you will become a Christian, It's not just who you're going to marry. It's not just uh, what car you're going to buy, right? No, no, it's it's all things, right? The the sparrow that falls to the ground, we're told the sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from God's will, right? Even the very hairs of your head are numbered, right? But my numbers are decreasing. I acknowledge that, right? So the very hairs of your head are numbered, right? You think about how how many hairs are on the human head. I heard something like a... A hundred thousand, around a hundred thousand. Based on different hair color, some some people have more, some people have less, right? But all your hairs are numbered. Every day of your life is planned by God before before even one of them was written in God's book. This is Psalm Psalm one hundred thirty nine. So so the chapter, the the book of your life, right? The the chapters and all the pages were all written out, right? Every, every day of your life, meaning that yes, God knows the day you will die. It's known. Right? You don't need to know it. I don't need to know it. We're trusting Him. Right? That's part of trusting God. God's sovereign will is certain. It doesn't fail. Think about the life of Job. Think about what he saw. That Job went through some difficulty, for sure. He had these friends who tried to rebuke him. They were kind of missing the mark. And then Job eventually was saying, Hey, let me... Go to the Almighty and I will question him and he will answer me. And, and he started saying these things. And then just imagine what would God say. Joe, where were you when I did all these? Where, where, where were you when I set the foundations of the earth? Right? And, and after, after God spoke, then Job says, I'm going to cover my mouth. And he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Here, this was Job. After, 
after the difficulty of his life and his suffering, he came to the understanding, you know what, God? You are in charge, not me. Who am I to question you? Right? I cover my mouth in shame. God humbled him. Do you and I have to go through that same type of humbling to realize, hey, it's not my will that's supreme, it's God's will that's supreme. We read earlier in Psalm 33, verse 10, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. This is what we pray for. This is what we ought to pray for. We pray for our, our rulers. Right? That if, if they are righteous, we ought to pray that they would be blessed. If they fear God, we ought to pray that they would enforce God's holy will. That His laws, that ref, laws that reflect His goodness and His righteousness. If they are wicked, we ought to pray that God would thwart their plans. That whatever wicked plans, that God would put them to an end. And that, that He would instill other ones. We think about how important it is that we ought to pray for our leaders. We ought to pray for those who are ruling our country. And here it says that God's counsel stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. God's plans for you and for me, they cannot fail. They cannot fail. And we think about this certainty. Certainty of an inheritance. And I want to look at this negative example. Negative example of Esau. Before, I also want to describe the matter of what are the people like who have no inheritance in Jesus. Ephesians talks about it. Ephesians 5.5 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So here it describes who is one who believes in Jesus Christ. It's not just the person who says, yeah, I believe in Him. Right? It's, it's this little box that I check. Right? It's uh, this Jesus sign that I put on the, the mantle of my fireplace. No, it, it involves something far greater. That, that It's not just, hey, I, I agree with these certain propositions. I, I, um, I, I have a cross on my neck or whatever it might be. It's not some kind of you know, minor sign. No, it's, it's a life of someone who's been bought by Jesus Christ. Someone who has said, wow, that man who died on the cross for me, my life belongs to Him. All the things I once loved, I now hate. All the things I once hated, I now love. This is, this is how someone can walk away from the bondage to sin, is that Jesus is one who sets him free. We think about this negative example of Esau. Think about how Esau treated his birthright. Interesting story. Was it uh, Genesis 27? <clears throat> Here, God came to. It was it was uh, Isaac and Rebecca. God told them, "You're going to have twins, and the older will serve the younger." And then you had the father, Isaac, who favored the older son because he was this fine hunter. He liked eating roasted game. And then you had the mother, who. Remember the promise of God, the older will serve the younger. So she favored Jacob. He was kind of a, a homebody, right? He was, home, uh, he was a, uh, a mama's boy, so to say. So he stayed at home, and, and then she had this plan. Rebecca had this plan. Hey, we, we are going to connive 
to get the blessing from your father. She needed to do that, right? But you think about what happened. Esau was out hunting. He's, he's this manly man, right? He's hairy all over, right? Hairy chest. And he, he says to his, his brother, he comes back, he's, he's starving, right? He's, hey, what do you got cooking there? Some kind of bean soup, right? And he's, hey, give me some of that. Jacob comes back and says, hey, you sell me your birthright, I'll give it to you, right? And, and then Esau comes back, hey, I'm about to, I'm about to die here, right? So he's, he's making up junk. I'm about to die. He says, what good is my birthright? So he, he despised his birthright. You think about what he thought of the birthright. It wasn't valuable to him. It's worthless. I'm selling it for a, a hill of beans, so to say. He sold it for a hill of beans. He despised his birthright. You think about your situation. Anytime you and I are tempted to sin, it's as if it's Jacob. No, it's really Satan saying, Hey, sell me your inheritance. Sell me that. You can look at this horrible stuff on the internet. You can lie to your friend or your boss. All of these matters. It's Satan saying, hey, go ahead, sell your birthright to me. You don't need it. It's worthless. You'll never get it. God will never fulfill in His promise. What is true wealth? Is it the treasures of Egypt? Or is it the reproaches of Christ? I hope you can see that true wealth is in this life the reproaches of Christ, but in the life to come, it's true inheritance, great riches. Understand that the negative example of Esau here is given so that we might understand we should continue on. All that God has promised us, you and I will receive. His promises are sure. God never lies. He always tells the truth. And this inheritance is of great importance and infinite wealth. So this is the certainty of your inheritance. We have the third, the gratitude for your inheritance. The gratitude for your inheritance in verse 12. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. So here we have a challenge for those who are first. So that we who were, to fir- who were the first to hope in Christ. <clears throat> it's oftentimes difficult for those, those who are first. Those who are the early ones. When you think about the various companies, I think about uh, back in the 80s, was it Microsoft? There were those back then who were driving the trucks to deliver the software packages that Microsoft had, whether Windows or Word or whatever, right? They were delivering the packages, and, and I think there was some word about how those people, right, who who were driving the trucks became multimillionaires, right? Because they got early stock, right? Hey, they, they started working for this company. They probably didn't pay as well, right? So it's, hey, we'll give you the stock. And and you see here, there's an understanding, hey, they, they took a risk, right? They took a risk in, in, in working for this company, right? And and those who were in charge said, hey, they took a risk. They, they didn't leave when difficult times came. You think also about those who serve God for many years in their lives. It's easy to start to come to this mentality, hey, who were we who were first to hope in Christ? Jesus told a parable about this even, the laborers of the vineyard in Matthew, uh, Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. That Jesus talked about how those who started early in the day, the landowner had said, hey, you're going to go out and work in my field and I'm going to pay you uh, 
uh, a certain unit, was it uh, a denarius? Uh, and and then for each hour that went on, he hired them and and. Uh, they agreed to work for the same price. And then at the end of the day, those who were liar, hired the last hour, he said, I'm going to pay you guys first. And then he started going backwards till the people who were in the very beginning hired, they thought they were going to receive more. So when they were paid, they, they got an Daenerys and they were upset with the landlords. Hey, you, you, you deceived us. You, you shortchanged us. No, no, no. You agreed to work for Daenerys. And the question that comes up, as Jesus even asked it, does God have a right to be generous with that which is His own? Is it a painful, is it a painful uh, and, and hurtful thing to serve the Lord? Maybe that's a better question, right? Is, is it painful for us to serve God, right? Is it's we, slave, we slave for Him, or, or do we, we serve Him in joy, with gladness? Anyone who follows Jesus Christ rightfully will say, if only I started following Jesus Christ earlier. Right? No, no one ever says, hey, I'm going I'm to wait to the end of my life. Hey, I've, I've been, been following Jesus Christ for 20 or 30 years. Right? No one ever goes back and says, you know, if only I, I could have waited until later to commit my life to Christ. No, no such thing. No such thing. Right? Anyone who says that has a misunderstanding of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. Here, it's your privilege to serve Jesus. It's your privilege to serve Jesus. It's not, it's not, uh, let me make sure I got this right here. It's not God's privilege to be served by you, right? Is that right? It is our privilege that we serve God, that He would allow us to serve Him. But we can't serve perfectly. You're right. We can't. Right? We, we serve imperfectly. Our motives are often so flawed. Yet He willingly takes our service. He's glad to receive it. We are imperfect. We are jars of clay. And so here, regarding those of you who have served long the Lord Jesus and followed Him, do not, lo- do not lose your first love. Remember, remember that. Serve God because He first loved you and serve out of your gratitude to Him. It is a gracious thing that God saves you. It is also a gracious thing that He allows you to serve Him and that we might do so with joy and with gladness. Here, we have also a reminder about the rightful recipient of glory. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. It's not to the praise of your glory. It's not to the praise of my glory. Psalm Psalm 115 reminds us of that. Verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. The test of true religion is, is it boils down to this. Are you delighting when others praise Jesus or are you delighting when others praise you? That when we're praising ourselves is when our gratitude to God is lacking. But when we desire that Jesus would be the one who receives glory, it's then when we understand gratitude. That we're grateful to God that He receives us. We're grateful to God 
and we give Him praise that His name deserves it. That you and I come to realize what a great privilege it is to serve Him. We realize how great a salvation He's given us. We realize the certainty of the inheritance that we have. God, you told us we have an inheritance. That Jesus said, I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. That's how certain it is. And we think also about the greatness of this inheritance. It's something that the world cannot offer. It's something the world can never guarantee. Jesus alone is the one who says it. He promises it. And it will be. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank You, Father.